Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. My next guest is one of Colleen and I's dearest friends, along with his wife, Tara Stiles. Yes, that means we've got Mike Taylor, the co-founder of Strala, on the Mind Body Green podcast this week. Mike studied mind-body medicine at Harvard and complementary medicine at Oxford. He's practiced Eastern movement and healing, including Tai Chi, Qigong, for more than 30 years. Mike's climbed some of the world's largest mountains. He's a cyclist. He's a runner. He also moves better than anyone I've ever seen. Whenever we're looking to use movement as a healing modality, Mike's the first person we go to. He and his wife, Tara, played a large role in my own personal healing of debilitating back pain where I couldn't walk. And for that, I am eternally grateful. He's one of the leading voices in movement, and it's an honor to have him here today. Michael, welcome. So let's rewind to how this all started. Harvard on the doctor track, (laughs) but something went wrong (laughs) or right. Oh, man. So that's where it all began. (laughs) You know, I think even leading up to Harvard, uh, my mom told me I I teethed on a stethoscope. So that uh, that must have hurt. (laughs) Doesn't seem now that I actually have some experience in that department, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm not sure what you would have a stethoscope lying around. Seems like it might be a hazard, but for a long, long time, I just assumed, you know, I'm heading to be a doctor. And really, the only question was what kind. And, uh, you know, I'd say a bunch of things happened in my family along the way to both encourage me in that direction and also, um, well, make me pause a lot. And it was again and again, uh, different members of my family getting very sick, uh, starting with my you know, grandfather when I was pretty young and, uh, you know, going through, uh, the entire, uh, cancer process with him and hospitals in New York. And then, uh, having it, um, hit my, uh, mom, hit my dad, hit my brother. Um, and at each step of the way, I was at a a different stage in my process of getting educated, uh, with our health system and with medical practice. And, uh, you know, I'd say, um, by the time uh, when I, when I was at Harvard, I was taking uh, already uh, classes in mind body medicine, classes at the med school, and I would say by that time I was ready to uh, to really question how far I could go with this. And you know, my brother got sick uh, uh, while I was at school. Got to a point where. Um, the standard practices at Mass General Hospital weren't working for him. And my dad uh, picked him up and took him to Mexico. Uh, he got healed. Uh, he was there for a while, uh, more than a year. Uh, he, when he came back, he was a different person. He was, he was my brother again. Uh, cancer was gone. He went back to Mass General. He said, cancer's gone. We don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense. We didn't think this was possible. But let's hit it with every treatment we got to make sure it never comes back. And he never recovered from that. And uh, 
I won't say the words that come to mind about the medical system on your podcast, but they're strong and they weren't happy. And uh, even just talking about this, they're still not. Um, so that that was what led me to really hit the brakes. And you know, I wound up getting a, a, a grant fellowship from Harvard to go and basically think about this whole medicine thing and, and continue study of, of medicine for a while in Europe. Uh, so studying other healthcare systems, um, and uh, you know, I I, uh, I had some freedom there, and then that freedom led to more freedom, and and the more freedom led me to say, I don't think so. I'm just going to climb mountains instead. <laughs> and so you decide, okay, you know, no medical school. I don't buy into the system. You know, I've seen cancer all over the place. You know, take my brother's life, a young age, father, all this, and then just like I, I'm just gonna. So, so talk about like climbing mountains and next, and how movement became your own healthcare, and and how that led you down this path to eventually Strava, and how you started to look at movement and climbing and Tai Chi and yoga as, as like controlling in your perspective on that and that journey. Well, you know. This one began even before Harvard. In fact, Harvard had nothing to do with this. When when I was a little kid, I was already, uh, um, you know, for, for part of my early schooling, I was homeschooled. Uh, I was already studying um, through uh, my mom's interests. Uh, she had been a nurse practitioner and then also through uh, her dad and her dad's brother. Um, already studying uh, East Asian philosophy, uh, already studying healing and martial arts two sides of the same thing. And I grew up that way. And so I was always interested in how to use my body uh, for Marshall when I was young, because that was fun and really neat and really athletic for me. Uh, and then also for healing um, and, and learning from an early age. You know, I probably couldn't get my hands around it fully when, when I was doing competitions and, and, you know, I, I was a, as a kid, so they, what they do you felt do, like karate, like the karate kid competitions, <sighs> like jujitsu. Yeah. Like I know, you know, I know Michael really well for you guys listening. We're, you know, some of our closest friends, you guys live around the corner. So like, I, I know about the secret past <laughs> in the teens where Michael may have been working, you know, in some CIA undercover, like martial arts program or whatever. But like, what, what was that? Man, well, there's a, a part of this that's a lot of wax on, wax off. You know, I, I had a very traditional training where, uh, you know, I wasn't going in and memorizing the forms of any particular martial art. Uh, I was learning how to use me in the best possible way. I was learning how to move well uh, and everything that goes beyond or behind uh, releasing uh, tension and thought from my body and getting out of my own way so I could use me in the most efficient way possible. So that led into testing that with lots of competitions. Uh, I'll go as far as saying that my grandfather was a serviceman in the Navy and his brother a serviceman in the Army. So working for the government had some interest to me and uh, I thought a lot about continuing on that path and wound up not. Um, and, you know, maybe dropped from that um, just thinking through when, when my grandfather died. It seemed like each stage along the way, it was some sort of death that made me think, well, I'm not sure that I can continue with that. So uh, 
you know, there was my grandfather's death, there was my brother's death, which was the, well, I'm not sure I can continue with the medical path. I need to, to think about that some more. But all along, there was this, I want to use my body. Uh, there was this, um, something that was really appealing about martial competition was it was kind of the same reason my dad thought math was really cool. My dad was an MIT PhD. And the field of math that he picked, uh, just for the heck of it, was uh, it was a theoretical math uh, field that at the time was considered impossible. And when he talks about it now, or when he talked about it before he was dead, uh, he said, um, well, the only reason I picked it because everyone thought it was impossible, so I did it. But always what he said he loved about math was that there was a right or wrong and it wasn't arbitrary, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I love about martial competition. There's uh, a way that works. There's a way that doesn't. And it's not really up for debate. You go, you have a competition. It's you against someone else. You're using your way. They're using their way. And you find out what works. And you do that, you know, a hundred something times and you find out what really works. And I liked the cleanness of that. Medicine doesn't have that cleanness. A lot of things don't have that cleanness. Yoga is an example of self-practice. There are ways to move that are really good for you and ways to move that really aren't. But it's a challenge to see that right away. You don't get that immediate feedback that you get from working directly one-on-one with another person. So uh, Marshall was always appealing to me, but I knew, uh, you know, especially uh, when... My grandfather's brother died when he died, and I put a lot of thought into, you know, what's what's going to happen for me. Um, pursuing combat as a life, mm, I don't think so. You know, th- this was uh, long before uh, there was MMA and that Gatorade was a sponsor and <laughs> and just people were bashing the crap out of each other. That's not at all what, what I was doing. I, I was doing this. Uh, to learn me really well and to explore what I could become in this life. Um, I'm not sure I answered no, your no, question. No, no, it's good. So, so <laughs> no, that, that's helpful. And so, you know, you're climbing mountains, you're in Europe, eventually you come back to the States, you're part of the, you know, hotjobs.com, Explosion Bus, some other various jobs. And, and then from what I know, you know, yoga, yoga is a big part of your life. You're going to, you know, you're like living a Kula at the time, you know, you're spending a lot, you're just going, doing yoga every day. We've talked about, you've done the whole New York city tour of yoga. Uh, you and Tara meet yoga becomes, becomes a big part of, um, of you and your relationship. And then, and just like walk through, like, you know, people know you and Tara and Strala and what you built globally and how powerful that is. But I also love like how, how it started and how you started to view movement and, you know, starting the free classes in your apartment <laughs> and how that sure. evolved. You know, I think, uh, when I met Tara, it was a little over 10 years ago and I was in that mix of rejecting medicine, even though there are loads of amazing things about, about medicine and the science behind it and the advances that uh, people are, uh, you know, that scientists are making every day, that clinicians are making every day. So uh, I don't reject all of it, just the, the parts that, that I had a lot of experience with. And uh, 
So there was a part of me that was just, I, I'm rejecting all of this. I, I'm rebelling against everything. So, and, and going off and climbing mountains was, was a lot that for me. It was, it was time to think. It was time to continue using my body in a competitive way, uh, in a way that was really pushing, you know, what can I accomplish? Because, you know, similar to martial arts with, with mountaineering, and of course, I, I got into uh, high-altitude mountaineering, free climbing, solo climbing, um, don't so, do that at home, kids. Yeah, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> Tara's been pretty clear about it. She, as she's learned and 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 heard from other people and, and seen uh, things that I've done, you did what? You know, I thought you were hiking. You know, so uh, you know, not not heading back to that soon. Um, but uh, what I liked about it is is it either works or it doesn't, and it's very clear. And you you can't move not well. You can't be inefficient in your body. You can't not have everything working as harmoniously and as effectively as possible in all of you, every part of you, in order to make these things happen, which for me was the same as the martial competition. So I was, I was rejecting medicine. I was hiding out in the mountains. I was exploring yoga, um, but at the same time in a very schizophrenic way. Uh, you know, I, I had this sort of uh, break between what I had learned in my earlier life about harmony with my body, and then at the same time getting really into a, a philosophy of yoga that said, hey, uh, life is suffering. Um, it's, that's just how it is. Uh, let's practice suffering in order to transcend that which suffers, the body, to become something else. And, you know, this didn't make any sense in terms of, uh, you know, practicing rigidity and tension and suffering and uh, made no sense to me in terms of stuff that I had done in my past, but made all kinds of sense to me and the community and, and the practice felt good to me in other ways. So, you know, when I met Tara, I hadn't figured out how to bring together the things that I loved, the things that I, I was good at. Um, you know, there was a part of me, like you said, I, I was doing technology companies and then I started a medical software company and um, you know, I was doing that when I met Tara, I was doing a lot of yoga, but not in a way that agreed with other things that I loved doing from my past. And, uh, somehow, you know, Tara started coming along with me to the stuff I was doing. I was dragging her along to the yoga things and she just tolerated me. You know, <laughs> she just humored me. She's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do it your way. That's fine. Um, but then little bit by little bit, gradually, uh, I think we evolved together a way of moving that made sense to me and also to her, but made sense to me that drew in what I had studied from Eastern healing, philosophy, martial practice, that drew in uh, what I wanted but never found my way to for how can I connect and be in some sort of health practice with other people instead of a, a self-isolating practice that was a lot of what I was doing before I met Tara. Uh, and that really became Strala. Uh, it wasn't deliberate, it was accidental. You know, we just sort of year by year evolved more and more into uh, how can this be an expression of everything we believe in, everything we sure. want. Well, you know, as I think about Strala, you know, obviously there's a lot of quote unquote yoga in there and some will say like it's yoga, but then there's also what I, what I love about it. There's also a lot of Tai Chi 
and you have a great Tai Chi class with us here at My Money Green too, but like talk about Tai Chi and the marriage of, and your perspective on yoga and Tai Chi and sort of the marriage of both and how we should be, how you view movement and its role. Sure. You know, I think something that I've realized more and more recently because back when I, I uh, was doing yoga with Tara and then the, the very beginnings of Strala, I, I don't think I, I don't think I understood, well, we want to move this way. Other people are not moving this way at all. Uh, and, and I just thought, well, we must be all very different. And I'd say I was really wrong about that um, from my early days with, with Strala, thinking that we're so different. And what I have seen more and more recently is, you know, actually we're, we're all aiming for the same thing. And there are lots of different ways of saying it. You might say we're all aiming to, uh, to be in alignment, alignment with ourselves, alignment in our bodies, uh, you know, uh, able to get around everything we want to get around in a way that feels good and is productive and successful. And, uh, so what I see now is whether it was, you know, this style of yoga, that style, this martial art or that martial art, this healing practice or that healing practice, I really think we're, it's something we all share, which is why what you do is so neat. You're bringing together all these people in, in the well-being world, the wellness world, who are all sharing these, these very uh, unified, uh, unifying ideas about where we want to go with this life. Uh, and that's something that I've gotten to see uh, more and more in reality in what we do recently. But my experience with Tai Chi and with Eastern arts in general is that they're grounded in understanding how to move well. What does with, that mean? Good question. I was hoping for that one. So, you know, as a start, there's a practice in Eastern arts called softness. And they're not a great translation for it in English because I think a lot of times we think, oh, softness. softness you're soft. Right. Yeah, you're soft. You're, you're not tough enough to get by in this world. You're not strong enough to succeed. And, you know, in these arts, it means something very different. It means you're movable without necessarily moving, bendable without necessarily bending. It means that you're not exerting a bunch of energy to get in your own way. And it's something that I loved in martial arts. It's something that I loved in mountaineering, still do. If you're walking around with tons of excess tension in your body, if you're using a no pain, no gain strategy, if stress is your strategy for success, you're not going to get very far. You're not going to be able to climb at altitude without oxygen, anything that's terribly challenging. Because the no pain, no gain stress is your strategy, it's depleting. It'll work for a little bit. So if you have to achieve something that takes about two minutes, great. But for most of us, we're more than two minute kind of people. Uh, we're in things for the long haul. We're, we're building things that are more, more complicated, uh, that require more effort over more time. So we need more sustainable strategies, like climbing a mountain. You need something that carries you all the way and then get you all the way back down again, which is where most accidents in mountaineering happen. It's the way down. Uh, and if you're so worn out on the way up, you can't get back down safely. So 
what I loved about Tai Chi and this concept of softness, it said, you have to first learn how to get out of your own way. You have to learn from here how to establish a relationship with between your breath and your body so that your breath is the first thing to move you, not your muscles. From here, you have to learn how to move from your center so that you're not a disconnected collection of isolated parts, hands, limbs, arms, legs, feet, uh, body, um, but just one you all in harmony uh, moving from the core of you. And there are many other parts to this, but that's kind of the, the, the crux of all of it that's in every East Asian art, whether you're talking about martial or calligraphy, painting, I often say vacuuming, one of them too. Everything you do can be done as a, as a practice of this, as a practice of moving well. And when I was looking at, um, well, there are a couple things that came together. One is when I was studying medicine, uh, mind-body medicine at Harvard, there was this fellow named Herb Benson. Sure, he's famous. So he, you'll know, uh, coined the term the relaxation oh, response. Yeah. yeah, okay, so you know. And uh, he was doing, he came in, talked to us, he was doing these really neat studies um, on hypertensives. And uh, it was interesting because he, he found, okay, we, we could take people who would otherwise be on boatloads of drugs uh, or in, in very bad shape. Let's just try teaching them how to breathe. Let's try teaching them a very simple form of meditation. And what was amazing about his research is it worked. You know, it was incredibly effective. And what was also really interesting is the difference between where it worked and where it didn't work. Uh, the people that it worked for and the people that didn't. And it turned out that there was this really interesting group that it didn't work so well for. And they were people who, um, they came into this meditation practice uh, almost like they knew too much about meditation. They were professional meditators. So they would come, they would fire up their best mudra, they'd sit bolt upright, very stiff, very rigid in their bodies, ready to breathe deep. And if you compared them, just looking at them qualitatively to people who were not professional meditators, they were professional human beings. So a professional human being, when they just sit down, they breathe really deep. There's a relationship between their breath and their body. Their breath moves their body. If we just sit here right now, hanging out, and I take a really deep breath, breath in lifts me, the breath out softens, releases, relaxes me a little bit. And it turned out that that connection between breath and body was one of the things that is so impactful for setting up our relaxation response. It's so impactful for creating the right chemical conditions in our body for healing. You know, I think what you're hitting on is like practicing ease and what that looks like and feels like and the relationship with Tai Chi and yoga and Strala and, you know, movement is a metaphor for life. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, looking back, her, her Benson kind of touched that off for me first in a big way. And then understanding that, okay, he's talking about the same stuff that's going on in Tai Chi. And here I am in yoga practice, firing up a, a warrior too, that if you pushed me, I would fall over like a rock, you know, not softness, not a connection between my breath and body. And, and, you know, Tara now looking at me like, what are you doing? 
you know, why, why is that? And so what started happening is the way I'd been practicing yoga for the years leading up to Tara uh, started to soften a bit. You know, I think a lot, a lot of it, thanks to Tara, thanks for her, to her standing next to me. And, and then the ways that I had practiced before that, uh, that had worked for me in mountaineering, that had worked for me in, in martial study, that I had looked at across healing, those started coming into the yoga. And it was maybe the first time in a long time that I, was, I, I realized, I don't have to just reject this. I don't have to run away from yoga because I realized, oh, it could be a little better, just like I had run away from medicine before. I, I, I saw and we started practicing that if you can bring the movement and healing wisdom that exists in Tai Chi, where moving well is a basis for everything on the martial side and on the healing side. If you can bring that into yoga, which has a form vocabulary, which is incredibly diverse, incredibly rich. And maybe now you're going to ask me what's a form vocabulary. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think where you're going, you know, it's this idea of, um, I think what you, you know, in many ways, yoga is about the destination and breath and movement are about the journey and something you talk about a lot like it's not about the pose it's about the movement and how you feel and the connection to oneself it's not about you know is my toe in the right position for this pose or you know in downward dog is my sit bone in the right like it's not about that it's how you feel and how you move I think that's like when I think of you and Strala and Tara, it's, it's about movement and feeling and, and, and practicing ease. Yeah. I think you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And more and more over the years, that's, that's what we've tried to make uh, real with the actual practice. Because honestly, when I first started studying yoga, there, yeah, there's the philosophy of let's practice suffering to transcend that which suffers. <laughs> you know, and, and science has a lot to say about that. It really just doesn't work. It's an intellectually interesting idea, but I don't think a very good one for most people, uh, me included. Um, but the other side of it where it, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. If you meet the Buddha on the road, kill it. I mean, we're all <laughs> aiming for the same things. And this is more and more what I'm seeing. We, we don't have different uh, desires. We don't have uh, different... Uh, places that we want to get or ways that we want to feel it's all so much the same and uh, you know to get closer to that things evolve you know things can improve and I think bringing the movement and healing wisdom of Tai Chi many thousands of years of of practices here into the forms of yoga which honestly you can fix someone who has uh, lower back pain who has sciatica uh, by learning how to walk backwards properly in Tai Chi. But I can tell you that that'll take you about 10 years of practice in Tai Chi to learn how to walk backwards properly. It's a very complicated art. In yoga, it'll take you about three weeks with, <laughs> with the, and you've experienced this too, sure. with all the different directions and weightings and ways of getting into your body with the yoga form where it's right side up, upside down, this way, that way. There are so many ways to get easily into your body, open it up and create the right conditions for healing. And also the right condition to perform better, you know, in whatever you're doing. So for, from that perspective, 
I was like, I am not going to reject yoga the way I rejected medicine. You know, it's, it's amazing. We're all heading for the same thing. And if we can help it evolve by bringing in this concept of ease and these concepts of practices of moving well from the Far East, even better. So how do you define moving well? Like if I'm listening, I'm like, okay, I'm interested. This is like, you know, I practice yoga. I do Tai Chi. I do Pilates, whatever it may be, whatever, whatever you do. What can you ask yourself to know if like, I am quote unquote moving well, I'm practicing ease. Like, what does that feel like? How would you describe that for someone listening? Sure. Uh, I think there are two parts to this, two steps. The first step is not moving against yourself. So imagine you come up against something that's hard, whether it's in a fitness practice or you're hiking, biking, whatever you're doing. You come up against a, a crux move. You know, maybe it's in, in climbing, crux move. You have the opportunity at that point to make two different choices. One choice is, I'm just going to push it. I'm going to force it any way that takes. Uh, use a huge amount of effort. I'm going to kick a little or shove a little or just get it done. The other way at the fork in that road is, I'm going to back off and move gently all around this challenge and figure out how to use my whole body in a way that at the very least, I'm not going to struggle against myself, against resistance in my own body to accomplish this. And I see this, you know, yoga is neat and practices like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong are neat because they're so simple that we get to see ourselves really clearly. So if you take this first step in, in yoga practice, you can see it's so easily we spend lots of time on our feet so we're able to mask not moving well by compensating with strength when we're on our feet because we're so used to doing it but you start to put someone in a handstand we don't walk around on our hands all the time it's not a place that we're used to being so we you do i've seen you walk around on your hands. well okay fine <laughs> it's the royal we there uh so uh most of us don't and so if you put people where they're not used to spending a lot of time then we don't have the option to compensate with strength and you get to see, you know, is this going well or is this not going well? And it, let's say you see someone in handstand and suddenly they're getting near the handstand. They're close and then they're kicking and kicking and jumping or and forcing and struggling and, and grunting. And, or maybe they're in a handstand and there's a pool of sweat around them that, you know, you could go swimming in. Um, that would be an example of just using force to get where you're going which is an option, you know, and it's something, it's expedient. And if we got to get stuff done, sometimes it's just what we're going to do. That's but, where the metaphor for life is, force well, or ease a little yeah. bit. But Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it. And what I like to think of yoga, tai chi, qigong, whatever you're practicing, could be anything, is it's a practice to do a little better in your life. It's a practice to... I love that. Can you say that again? Oh, man. Whatever your practice is, the reason you're practicing it is it's to do a little better in your life. It's not just to carry in the same things that are wearing us out and tiring us out, making us sick, stress, a little not feeling good, a little disconnection in our lives. We don't want to carry all that into our, our, our well-being practice. We want to practice something a little better. And the reason these practices can be so powerful is they're simple enough to see ourselves. You don't put someone on, uh, uh, drop someone from a helicopter at 7,000 meters on K2 
with a couple ice axes and say, practice moving well. You know, that's not the right time for that. We could do that to Jimmy Chen. He was on here. <laughs> he could handle that. Most of us not. Not the right time to practice. You know, that guy knows how to move well. You know, his, his uh, uh, talking with you, even just in how he talks, you know, you, you know, you know that that guy knows how to move well. So he's making that first choice to moving well. Uh, you know, are you moving against yourself or with yourself? We know how he's making that choice. He couldn't do what he's doing without making that choice. And then there's the second step, which is, you know, if you study uh, martial arts a long time, Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, really any art, there's a lot of technical details to how do you practice softness? How do you practice breath-body connection? How do you practice getting your whole body to be a whole body rather than exercising an isolated collection of parts? Uh, how do you have some harmony and connection in your body rather than stress and disconnection? And this is something I always, I always felt we're all aiming for the same thing, but often, uh, myself included, uh, you know, all the time, I would go to a yoga class or whatever I'm doing and find myself practicing stress and, and disconnection along my desire my, to, to get to uh, ease and connection, to get to harmony. And that's, that's a real hard path. It's actually really nice if, if what we want is ease, peace, harmony, to just get right in there and practice it. Right. Something you said to me one time, which just stayed with me, and I think we've talked about it, Mind Buddy Green, but I think it's important to touch on again, is this idea of we're so good at going fast, but not so good at, sl at, at going slow. And that's important. What, what does that mean to you? And why is it so critical, especially here in cities like New York and LA, like type A's, like we're, you know, getting stuff done. Like why do we need to practice slow? Why do we need to practice? Why is that critical? Well, I'd like to be cool and say that I learned that from my wax on, wax off teacher. <laughs> but the truth is I, I learned that one first from my piano teacher. And, you know, I was, I was a little kid and uh, he would come and listen to me. And I, I thought that if I played the Moonlight Sonata as fast as I possibly could, he wouldn't hear any of the mistakes and he'd just pass me, give me the little statue and we could go on to the next piece. Well, it turns out he could hear all of the mistakes, no matter how fast I played. Uh, so it didn't work. And, you know, he was very straightforward. He's like, look, if you can't do it slow, you can't do it. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And then that started resonating with everything else in my life that I was doing uh, and learning. And, you know, now I see it in uh, Tai Chi practice. I see it in Qigong. I see it in yoga practice. Um, we need slow enough and simple enough to see the things that we do that are maybe not so good for us and practice new things that might be better. If it's too fast or too complicated, it's really hard to say, I'm going to use a completely different strategy from what I do all day, every day in my tough life and my tough work and my you know, tough things that I have to juggle and get done. Those are probably not the first places to practice. So the first place to practice and the challenge for, for all of us is how do I find slow enough and simple enough to see me and then take all these ideals that we all share, all these secrets of being a great leader, being a great athlete, or being a great mom or dad or whatever it is, all these things that 
maybe really aren't so secret. All the things that make up being what we can be together as humans. I think the secrets are actually the practices. You know, how do we make these things real in our lives? How do we need to go from knowing what we want to actually being it? And I think simple and slow is the key there. So why do you think Tai Chi is making a bit of a comeback right now? You know, it's this ancient practice. You'd only see it like I, I saw it in college. I remember like all these, you know, you tend to go to like Chinatown, you'd see, or in San Francisco, famous, like, um, you didn't see a lot of like people doing China. It would be exclusively to like the Asian community. Uh, and now it's making a comeback. Like, why do you think, why do you think that is? Maybe it's because of you. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that are new now. Uh, I guess the internet isn't so new now, um, but relatively. We're, we're on the line these days. <laughs> we're, we're on the line. Uh, social media maybe not even so new. But communities talking about what you're talking about here and able to pick things up and grow with each other I sure got to believe it makes it a whole lot faster for someone who's, say, practicing whatever it is they're practicing, whether it's yoga or running or Zumba, and to be able to connect into community and say, okay, I, you know, I've, I've hit my, my edge on that. How do I make it better? And now we can come into places like what you've created here and learn from each other how to make it better. And I think Tai Chi has always been there. Uh, I think maybe it gets a little bad rap because if people think that's ah, for old people, you know, it's a little boring. And it is, you know, there, there's a lot of detail behind Tai Chi. And there can be a lot of frustration if you go about Tai Chi as I'm going to memorize the forms. I'm going to memorize what angle to point my toe and where, to, where my elbow should be. And, uh, you know, spend the next 20 years trying to copy some old dude who's not even in the room anymore, but I'm trying to look like him, be like him, and, you know, ha have everything recognizable as him. So that can be a tough path. But if Tai Chi is a different path, if Tai Chi is a, another way, another art for practicing, how do I do me really well? How do I learn how to move well first in this body? And then bring that into connection with another person, another body, in a context that the form arises in that connection. Then you have the Tai Chi form, you have a practice, and you have a way to make a little better whatever it is you love. Well, to me, it also looks, if I look at Tai Chi, I, I say to myself, it's slow, it looks pretty, it's artful. I could do that. Anyone can do that. Like some people will look at yoga and they'll look at like, oh, the handstands and contortionists and I can't do that. But I look at Tai Chi, it's like, oh, wow, like I can do this. It looks relaxing. Like I could use that right now. <laughs> I think you're right. And I think that yeah. it's part of it. Yeah. Where it's like the, you know, going to like practice, you know, the, the age we live in and speed and going fast and technology. It's a little bit of a, hey, I need something just like a little slow and not crazy intense and i can do this i think you're right we know what we need <laughs> so what do you what do you think is the you know having been in this space for for you for a long time like what do you think the future of movement is like where do you think things are going 
you know, we've seen boutique, you got CrossFit, boutique fitness, spinning, yoga, Tai Chi, like what, what's interesting to you? Um, you guys travel the world, like, j- just like, where do you think things are going? Do you think it's going more in this place of like practicing ease, breath, like personalization, what, all that stuff, a lot going on right now. <laughs> oh man, you know better than I do, way better than I do on this. Uh, but if I was to guess, I would say maybe with, with, uh, this, it's the same as what's happening for health. And it comes up a lot in our talks that I think maybe sometimes people are out to be healthy just for the sake of being healthy. So it becomes an inward spiral on being healthy just for its own sake. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not then sure. Then that becomes unhealthy? <laughs> yes. orthorexia. Okay, thank you. You said it. Uh, so, yeah, and I'm not sure that that leads to the best set of results. So another reason for health is is to get out of our own way, to just have a health that supports everything we want to do in this life, in all of its diversity. So it's not this uniform health practice to be healthy where, you know, in a way we all end up looking exactly the same and it leads to not health. It's this incredibly diverse uh, practice of uh, living, moving, acting in a way that... uh, allows me to get out of my own way, clears away all the layers of of stress and all the layers of tension and all the layers of sort of playing the role of myself. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, instead allows me to be healthy enough that I can do everything I want to do. And, you know, I think for everything we're doing, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a health practice or a movement practice, fitness practice, I think maybe that's uh, the now and maybe that's the future too, is remembering why we do this, remembering why we do this and come together to do this. It's to support being me in the best possible way, to support what I want to do in my life. So Mark Hyman, who we love, would say, he has this great quote, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet, which... Is true, but I know you also have a strong opinion on movement and how movement drives health. So if Mark Hyman's famous quote is, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet, what would be your quote on the power of movement? I think you have to address stress first. I think we could focus on diet until the end of time. And as much as that's true, we'll look at a reality of failure again and again and again. And, you know, another guy we love, Joe Cross, you've talked to him many times about this. He talked at Revitalize about this, this crossing the chasm from knowing to doing and why diets fail without fail. Uh, And we, we keep getting better and better. I mean, we look back at the 80s and we laugh at those diets. And now we have better diets. And I'm sure there's massive improvements in what we understand about ourselves and how to support health diets with incredible uh, supplements whatever we need uh, to have all the the right ingredients but i don't think that any of that comes together in the right way for us if we're living under attack if we're living in a chemical stress state so whether you're uh Looking at Jamie Redford's documentaries where he's looked at obesity with kids and how living under stress, it doesn't matter what they try, it doesn't work. 
or looking at the, the stuff that you shared with all of us at Revitalize, I think we have to address the stress equation first and then move along to all the other good stuff so that our body um, can show up for the good stuff. Well, then what's, what's the, then how do you think about movement then? Obviously stress is a big thing, but like, what's the power of moving well? Like if, if, if Mark's talking about the power of eating well and Jamie Redford or whoever, lots of people talking about like how stress can kill you and be debilitating, like what's the power of movement? Because I know you have a strong opinion on this. Movement is the practice that addresses stress. So done in the way that you said before, slow, done simple, you can create movement practices that bring us out of a chemical stress state, put us in the right state for health and healing, and also put us in the right state for higher levels of performance. Right. This is where I'm going. So like where Mark will say you can't exercise your way of a bad diet, what you're getting at, well, no, what we're getting at is <laughs> if you're moving with ease, you're going to put yourself in a better position to make better decisions around what you eat. There are ways you can move that put yourself in a better situation. You know, I, I always like joke to people. It's like, you know, for me personally, people know my story. Like I, yoga saved me from back surgery and you and Tara played a large role in that. And I always say like, you know, yoga, it's sort of like it carries over. It, it, it permeates, you can't help it. It's not like you go to a yoga class and you're like, all right, let's go to Burger King. You just start eating better. Like you don't want shitty food. You start eating more plant-based. You start making better choices. So like I saw that. So like I would argue that moving and practicing ease it is meditation in motion and or mindfulness or what have you. And you start making better decisions around diet, relationships, in jet like life in general. And so I, I would say that movement can actually have a much bigger impact than just like feeling good or being fit. You got it. Where I agree with Mark is moving doesn't do it. Exercise doesn't do it. Moving better does it. Having your movement be a practice of creating a chemistry and neurology that are different than the chemistry and neuro neurology that got us here. Because I think implied in this, the, the exercise is I'm just doing what I do all the time, only harder, faster, stronger. Right, like there's a difference between, we always joke, like there's mindless movement and mindful movement. So like mindless, like I'm just like going on the treadmill and just literally like a metaphor for... <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So if movement is a practice for rewiring ourselves out of the bad sort of stress-based habits that have not been as good for us as they can be, uh, health, life, everything really just doesn't feel so good. If movement can be a way of seeing that, getting out of it, and creating new habits, uh, then I think movement is a starting point for a, a whole lot in our lives. Yep, agreed. So moving on to the, the close, the, the questions I ask everyone, what keeps you up at night, and what has you excited in the morning? Well, a lot of my uh, uh, sort of past hobbies centered around uh, 
work that the NRDC did and uh, World Wildlife uh, Fund and um, Conservation International, uh, just some, some great groups. And, uh, you know, I, I have to say that, uh, well, there's, there's this guy, uh, Dale Jamison, who uh, spent some time at our studio in New York, and he's uh, uh, one of the environmental uh, lead professors at, at NYU here. And he's kind of known for humorously saying that, that we're screwed, you know, that... Uh, with climate change? Uh, with climate, yeah. That, that, you know, it's just in our nature to not bother to do anything until it's too late. And then at the very last minute, we'll figure it out. It's going to be okay. You know, so... Uh, and I'd say um, that has me thinking a lot because we... we like you said, we, we get to go around the world. We do lots of training with lots of different kinds of people. Uh, you know, some of them are yoga teachers. Most of them are, uh, you know, people from every walk of life doing every kind of work. And I'd say it's the same thing that keeps me up at night that has me hopeful in the morning, maybe, which is I don't believe that we can expect the world out there to change and to be a certain way if we're not that way to ourselves. And if we're used to pushing ourselves, struggling with ourselves, stressing ourselves, using no pain, no gain, in no way conserving our own energy and effort, and in no way valuing peace, harmony, and ease in how we do our everyday work. We're, we're bringing stress, struggle, strain, and disconnection, and disharmony into our effort to end war and save the environment. I don't believe that that's going to work. I don't think we can expect the outside world, whether it's a town or a government or a corporation, to be different than how we are on the inside. So that keeps me up. But then it also has me hopeful because what I see in what you're doing, what I see in what we're doing, what I see in what so many people are doing is, hey, let's find ways to change how we are with ourselves and not in a self-obsessed way, not in a, a you know, this is, this is all about me pampering myself. No, this is a, we're talking a bigger picture here. We're talking about picking ways to practice living in our lives that have huge impacts on how we relate to ourselves, our psychology, how we relate to everyone around us, how we raise our kids, how we vote, how, how we make decisions uh, about how we get around in every, everything we do and every job we ever have. I think all of that can and does begin with what we practice with ourselves in very simple very slow things every day, how we get around. And I think that those practices cannot help but change the influences and decisions uh, and impact we all have on the big picture everywhere. Amen to that. <laughs> I hope it's true. <laughs> and so if we sort of answered the up at night, unexcited in one, um, if you could go back in time and give your 20 something self advice, what advice would that be? I got to say, just be less angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know me, I didn't know you back then. Though. You, you humor me, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, everything 
that I learned from was great and so frustrating and so upsetting. And, you know, it, it led me to a lot of flinging myself around, uh, through some good experiences, but, but, uh, through a lot of anger that led me to think that everything I was doing was separate rather than connected and together. You've made a difference in that. Oh, you're giving me too much credit, but, um, okay. Really last question. So, so if you could give advice to anyone out there who's listening, who's saying, cause I'm sure a lot of people are like, you know what? Like, I wish I was a little less angry too. You know, advice for someone who wants to be a little less, you know, pissed off because there's a lot going on in the world. And it's very, you know, sometimes it's very easy to pick up the newspaper or see what's going on on Twitter and just like get really annoyed. So any advice like for someone who's, you know, maybe a little annoyed and, and also like wants to move better and, and, and feel better. What advice do you have for someone out there maybe thinking that? Let it happen. You know, I, I mean, I'm serious. I, I think you sound like Ram Das now. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> okay, I get it. You know, I said that you've helped. Uh, let it happen. Obviously, Tara has helped. You know, we all have people and situations, things that come into our lives that we can see them and allow them to fully do and be and act on us in the best possible way. Or we could just never see it. And for me, that's what the most useful reason for me to, to practice in a way. Just, you know, not, not necessarily doing yoga or, or doing Tai Chi or whatever. Just sitting here together with a person and remembering to breathe deep enough that there's a relationship between my body and my breath. And I'm soft enough to actually see what's around me. And to be able to relate to that, because uh, I can tell you from anger, you see one thing. And from softness and some practice of ease, you see everything. And in one thing, it's, it's just a wall to bash down. And when you see everything, there's so much that's possible. So the answer is breathing. I think so. So if you could do one yeah. thing out there to be a little better, mm-hmm. to, you know, feel better, be, it's, it's breathe. Breathe and let that breath connect with you in a way that moves you. Love that. We'll close on that. Michael, thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, guys. Thanks.